Today is Wednesday, August 30th, 2023, and you're listening to the Ask a Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Nate. Today, we are going to talk about mean, rich churches that hoard all their money in piles of gold. And then uh, Steph uh, plays some cello for us, and we talk about our hurdy-gurdy, if anyone knows what that is. And then we get into um, bringing back mask mandates and blah, blah, blah. And surprise, surprise, Alex Jones was right. Um, <laughs> then we talk about uh, Florida's education and how people are thrilled and others are not thrilled about the direction it's going with uh, PragerU curriculum and things like that. Then we get into the subject of tithing. What is mandatory? Is anything mandatory in the Christian living? Um, tithing, giving, should it be to a church? Should it be somewhere else? Things like that. And then we talk about some other stuff for a while. Anyways, check out the Ask a Christian book on Amazon. Check out the Ask a Christian store. Grab a t-shirt. Support this cause. Support the broadcast and sharing the gospel with people on the internet. All the links to these things are in the description of this podcast. Take care. We'll see you later. Oh, I, I have a similar... I have My grandfather gave me his great-grandfather's violin from Germany, and it has a Stradivarius label inside. Um... And I am too scared to get it appraised because I don't want to know if it's real. Um, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Go why? Today and get it appraised. That's why women lady. shouldn't vote because you're too emotional. Oh my gosh! I can't yeah. do it. I can't do Just it. Okay, if I find your out your entire case for being a lady. Listen, if I find out that this is a real Stradivarius, okay, and it's my great 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 grandfather's German violin, I am going to suffer the rest of my days. Why? About what? Because I don't want to make Sell the decision. It. No, I would. I couldn't. Have Chad make the decision. No. He's going to be all like, what? Dusty violin versus Man, $500,000? You should, you should oh, get it to Chris, a conservatory. Like, uh... are worth like multiple millions. Okay, oh, get it appraised though, because I mean, if there was ever, if there was ever an accident, or you know, like you know, hopefully never, but you know, some type of uh, of, yeah. of an incident, um, you know, like you would at least get the value out of it, right? So, I mean, yeah, I would get it. I, I think I wouldn't. Uh, I don't know what I'd do given that situation, um, but uh, oh, actually, I have I have a similar story. So, so um, uh, can, can we hang on one second? Because I saw yeah, yeah, keeps raising his hand, trying to be all nice and polite, which is, is rare that I actually looked when I saw it. So I'd like to give the guy who's, you know, being all nice and, and humble a chance to speak. Harold, I actually saw your hand this time. So what's up? I was going to ask Steph, God forbid, but if she divorces her husband, do you give back the ring? Do you give uh, back the Yeah, dime? I would. Absolutely. Yeah, that's it. He bought it was a gift, but that was his. Yeah, I would I would do that. I actually had an engagement that I broke off uh, and I gave him back the ring. Yep. All right, Michael, what's up? Wait, you what? Have a story. Uh, now Never we mind. have Steph's story hour. He was, uh, I, I was with this guy from the age of 14 to 21 and we got engaged when we were 18 and I, I gave him the ring back. I did. He spent money on it. It was his ring. compensation for pain and suffering? Well, I felt bad. And the ring was just sad. So I gave it to him. I think he sold it. That's the that's the right thing to do. Yes, that's it. Hey, man, if you have a Stradivarius, right, you, should, you should really get it looked at. Um, totally get it looked at. You need to get it insured. But, like, if it's an important instrument and stuff, like, again, you could share that with the community of Stradivarius 
aficionados or whatever, and maybe it could be played one day. That, you know, that's yeah, you could learn to you could learn to play it and lift the burden of suffering souls with your music. Yeah. Or screech yeah. it a few times and just send them off yeah. the edge. Play the violin. No, I play violin. I play, you play violin. violin. That's why Wait, I got you... the violin. Yeah. Have no. you like, played kind of that a... particular violin? I have. Yes. Yeah. Often, it's my only violin. Is this well, why don't you go get it and play it right now? Your children no. want to yes. hear. Your children just yes. said because we didn't know that. Because it's missing the D string, and I don't want to. I'm actually better with cello. I learned on cello, and so I've played Do you have cello, a cello my whole life. I have my daughter's three quarter size. Go do it. Are you gonna make me do this? Yes. Oh, I have to find it. All because right, we on. have the power to make you do that. So yes, yes. if yeah. we if we and have that ch- power, we will your use that power. Your children are All looking right. up at you with anticipatory eyes, wanting to hear the lovely music that will come from working. your fingers. This is gonna make my husband so mad if I go. Oh my gosh! Stop working. Uh, let's, like Chris, do you have like a kazoo? Let me find anything? it. Like I, Let I, me find I I mean, my son can bust out the saxophone, or he could play the piano, or he could bust out the flute, or I guess he could bust out the, what else does he play? Play Play something else. I can't remember. Not the Shire. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Lord of the Rings. Let's get Frodo up in here. Can you match that on cello? I think Steph is probably the same size as Frodo. Yeah, I actually, he would probably tower over me. Well, there it is. Okay, I found it. I'll get it set up for you. This sounds this is a like very a, fun, a fun, whimsical idea, but what if she's really awful? Then what do we then do? We do we keep it to ourselves? Like, do you, I'm not do great, you lie? Yeah. Like, that dress makes you look great. Or, or like, you know, I'm sure God appreciates yeah, we're not it. We're not going to crush our friends today. <laughs> It's the thought that counts. It is a very odd day. Oh, there's supposed to be that super, what is it, a super blue, it's like two things. It's like a super big lunar blue moon, or I, I don't know, it's it's like bigger than the blood moon, and it's blue. I think that's supposed to be tonight or tomorrow. Maybe it's the gravity pulling all of our brains upward, and that's why we have these weird topics. Hmm. Anyone heard about that? What Heard about what? The like super blue moon or something like that. Oh no, not today. Are we just waiting in? Oh no! Listen, okay, I can't do it because I. Lies. I have to to fix her tuning pegs because it won't hold the A. Listen, it won't hold it. (laughs) I have to fix this cello before I can play it. Oh my gosh! Fix the cello. Yeah, we'll wait. <laughs> yeah, then maybe your daughter can. No, play this it. is like I have to go get it. I have to go get oh, the sap from a store and put it into the tuning pegs. I don't know how to describe this, but this is not going to get played today. Did she commit a sin by making us think she was going to play it and committed to That's it? What I heard. Probably. Yeah. Well, I could try oh. to tune it down. Why don't you take both instruments to the store today, get a deed string on your Stradivarius, and get your daughter's cello fixed? Sounds like a good, productive stuff day. Yeah, I'll just forget all my clients today. Okay, here's something. Yeah, that's all we're asking. Work is overrated. I've got a hurricane day today. None of my clients are calling. We're getting there. Can you tell how long it's been since anyone played this? 
Wait, how old is your daughter now? And how many years has she not been playing the cello? She is too small for this cello. So I bought this cello for her. It's a half-size cello, and she's too small. That's the other thing is I play a full-size, and the only one I have is a half-size. So this is not going to take me like 20 minutes to do, you guys. Okay, well, maybe while, play, while, while Steph is like tuning the cello, I can tell I can tell a story that will that will probably, as someone who likes art history, will probably make Steph cry. I'm listening. Um, so, Nate, are you okay indulging me for three minutes? Sure. Sure. Okay. So, um, probably in around 1981-1982, um, my parents and I were at uh, a mall in Scarborough, the town I grew up in, and you know how they used to have those those traveling kind of like um, antique sales that would go around from like mall to mall and sell stuff. Well, it, that was right around the same time as my parents' anniversary. So my parents never had a lot of money. Like neither of them ever made more than $30,000 a year in their life. Um, but uh, my mom had gotten like a little bonus from work and it was right around the time of their anniversary. So my mom decided she wanted to buy my dad something special for their anniversary. So my, my dad was like, well, you know, I've always kind of wa I've always wanted a pocket watch. So there was this traveling antique show. So my mom was like, well, let's go look around and see if we can find something you like. So wandering around for a little bit, find something. It's quite nice. It's a gold pocket watch. And uh, it was $500, which for them would have been, you know, $10,000. <clears> but um, my dad was, you know, my dad was like, oh, you know, I kind of like this. And my mom was insistent. So she bought it for him. So my dad wanted to get, it was, it was a little bit kind of, it wasn't in great shape. So we took it to uh, Burke's, which is a Canadian jewelers, um, uh, at a, another mall and said, you know, can you clean this up? Okay, fine, no problem. So about a week later, my dad gets a call from Burke saying, you know, Mr. Stewart, can you please come in? It's about your pocket watch, no problem. So he gets to the store and the, the guy from Berks is there, and then a guy who introduces himself, I can't remember his name, but he was from the University of Toronto Historical Society. And they want to talk to him about his watch. So they pop open the back. And my dad, who was, who was also an artist, um, Steph, are you familiar with Tom Thompson, the Group of Seven? Uh, no. Oh, okay. A very famous Canadian artist. Anyway, if there's why, a carving on the inside. That's why neither of us know about it. Yeah. So there's a carving on the inside. <laughs> of Tom Thompson's cabin. It was his watch. So right on the spot, the guy from the UFT Historical Society offers my father $25,000 for the watch. Uh, he couldn't sell it because it was a gift from my mother. And when we got home and he explained this to her, she basically said, yeah, you're lucky you didn't sell it. Otherwise, you know, I'd have packed your bags and thrown you. So um, he keeps in touch with my dad over the years. And like five years after that, calls my dad, offers him 50 grand for the watch, then $100,000. Then finally, about would have been 2001, 2002, offers my dad a quarter of a million dollars for the watch. He still doesn't sell it. So my dad was also, unfortunately, an alcoholic. So... He didn't have a lot of money one day, and he hawked it for 50 bucks to buy beer. Oh. Brutal. 
So my sisters and I went to this guy, but he already knew what he had and there was no way he was selling it back to us. So my whole point behind this story is Steph, you, you know, you may have something of incredible value there. So you should definitely get it appraised, definitely get it insured just in case something happens to it. But then Seriously. this could be like the murder podcast we watched where you get it appraised, find out you have a priceless treasure. You're all nervous. People start, you start getting paranoid. People are following you walking in the street. And, uh, all along it was the, uh, curator of the museum that did it. Um, Okay. Uh, Michael, I just oh, come on. Say, I'm so sorry. Like, that story devastated. Yes, that is sucks. Rough. That's terrible. Yeah, I mean, it, it is what it is. I mean, my dad's been dead for 17 years now. So, you know, it is what it is. But yeah, it was, uh, luckily, um, my mom never found out until uh, after he was dead because she probably would have killed him. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it, it was a big, and I guess the hardest part was, I just wish he would have sold it a long time ago. Cause I mean, that would have been like millions of dollars to my parents cause they never had a lot of money. And you're welcome, Nate. I destroyed your room this morning. Man, I don't even know. It's all good. I mean, what else would it honestly be? It'd be like, you know, how we got destroyed because of the Apocrypha or something like that, like the guy yesterday. Um, or, I mean, <laughs> you know, God and talking snakes. I mean, what else would we really be talking about? It almost sounds like an episode of that show Black Mirror on Netflix, if any of you have seen. I watched, I watched the first 10 minutes of it and turned it off. I was like, oh, nope. I do have a random theological question. I'm still doing that. Yes. We sure. are still here for that. Yes, that would be great. <laughs> what have you got? Uh, no, you're good. I was curious. I thought about this before. I don't know if this has been asked here before, but I am curious about what was Jesus' capacity to sin while he was incarnate um, on earth. Like when he's being tempted, is it that Jesus like could have fallen, but didn't. And this is why it's instructional. Or is it that he actually could never possibly even given into temptation, which if that's the case, it seems like it's kind of just for show and doesn't really mean anything to us. Right. So I have always wondered that because I feel like either way, it's a little bit kind of interesting to think about. So like he, he absolutely was vulnerable to, the flesh but he is perfect and is not like subjected to his vulnerabilities there but was his temptation real yeah did he overcome it yeah uh because he's perfect right so he could have not over it would have been impossible for him not to overcome it given his divinity right true but it also doesn't discount the fact that like his suffering and all that was like real um and uh, I get it, like totally avoidable if you would have chosen that, but he's just a perfect guy. He does what's perfect. So does Jesus know what it feels like to have like the shame of sin? I guess you could say he had it on the cross when he took on our sins, but like he himself has never felt guilty because he's never done anything wrong. So I guess, but, but so I guess you'd have to say that any kind of 
subjectivity that he has where he shares in our suffering in that way would be when he was on the cross and taking on the sins of the world. Yeah, well, and when I he mean, takes on the sins of the world, he also, like, uh, he understands the sinner well enough to know that they know not what they do and and stuff like that. So, I mean, um, while he's without sin, he does understand the sinner perfectly. So, uh, this this was answered by Augustine. Um, he Augustine described it as um, the posse picare and the posse non picare, and that is the ability to sin and not to sin. So Adam sinned, Jesus did not. Satan did everything in his power to corrupt Jesus and tempt him to sin. This would this would have been an exercise in futility had he been trying to tempt a divine person to sin. Satan was not trying to get God to sin. He was trying to get the human nature of Christ to sin so that he would not be qualified to be the Savior. At the same time, Christ was uniquely sanctified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit. In order to sin, a person must have a desire for sin. But Jesus' human nature throughout his life was marked by a zeal for righteousness. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. He said, as long as Jesus had no desire to sin, he would not sin. Right. And that makes sense. Given, yeah, no, I, and that's just kind of the interesting right. uh, balance of the hypostatic union where it's like how much of the human, because if you have 100% God, 100% man, then that, that does get into some questions like that in terms of, you know, on the one hand, the human flesh and stuff could feel pain and was under pressure. But on the other hand, the Holy Spirit and the divine nature of Christ. Plus, if you're going to... I. I'm presuming you think that Christ was omniscient while incarnate, right? I mean, I know there's the whole no one knows but the Father, but that's the Father and the Son are distinct. Being. Um, but like if Jesus was, was omniscient, then he would also know like his desires. He wouldn't have desire to sin because he knows what's best and he knows what's righteous. He knows what he ought to do. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have like the ignorance that people have when they sin. So it wouldn't really make sense for him to give in to sin. Sure. And again, this is where you know, highest desire takes over, right? So whenever we have discussions about free will, we talk about the highest given desire. And Jesus, his human nature had no desire for sin because he did not have original sin. Original sin is what enables us to have the desire for sin. That's the definition of original sin. So since Jesus was born without original sin, he had no desire to sin. And so therefore, if you have no desire to do a thing, you cannot do that thing. This is another problem for libertarian free will, because if libertarian free will were true, then Jesus could have sinned um, and probably would have, because the nature of libertarian free will is to be able to do something outside of your highest desire. Are you guys ready for this? Ready? Oh, boy. Oh. Yeah, here we go. I have it all tuned up now. Listen to how I did that by ear. I'm so, they're so impressed. This is a children's, this is Stephanie's performance on a children's cello. Okay, the strings are so close together. Let's see. There you go. 
Learned that just now for you, Nate. Hey, do you play guitar? Because you could probably plug the guitar <laughs> and do that. No. Listen to her children. So excited. This thing is really hard to play, to be fair. You should go grab your daughter. She's right here. Have there you go. There's my performance for the day. You're welcome. That was great. Wasn't it? I don't that was it. really good. Steph, are you familiar with uh, the cellist Ofra Harnoy? <laughs> no, are they bad? No, it's a woman. Um, no, she's actually really quite good. Um, you should uh, check her Ofra, like kind of like Oprah, but with uh, an F. Harnoy. Ofra uh, Harnoy, where is she from? See, this is she one isn't. thing, like, I auditioned in college for cello performance and got in to the music school. <laughs> this was 10 years ago, can you tell? And then I also auditioned at the same school or submitted a portfolio for fine art, and I chose fine art. So ever since then, I have lost, I've completely lost interest in pursuing music because I'm much better. I'm not very good at music. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, okay, that's good. I haven't kept up on music, so I'd like to check. Carry on, didn't mean to interrupt, but I was sitting there stuck feel, until I had a break in the conversation. I feel like uh, I feel like now Steph's children are doomed to endless music lessons, that she's picked up the cello again. I did tell my daughter that. I said, I just took this out, tuned it, fixed the end pin, stuck the wax in there, rosin the bow, you are playing today. <laughs> nice. Children love when you do that kind of stuff. Yeah, she said no. She's crying in her bed right now. <laughs> She's like, I got puppies to play with. Yeah, not over that. She doesn't want to get dressed. She wants to be in her pajamas today, which is not going to happen. Anyway, what was the topic? Oh, boy. So, Chris, um, in the chat, while God was in human form for 33 years, he was taking care of the universe. So God did not enter his creation. This is a, this is a common Muslim trope um, because... The Quran teaches that Allah entered creation, which doesn't make any sense. How can an infinite being enter a finite place? So it's silly. So the incarnation was the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, uh, that we know as Jesus, taking on an additional human nature. The additional human nature did not contain the fullness of the second person of the Trinity because that would be impossible. And so um, the what we say is that the divine person fully penetrated the human nature, but the human nature cannot penetrate the divine person. So there is something called the communication of the properties. Okay, so... Um, the divine properties were communicated to the human nature. The human nature cannot communicate anything to the divine nature because the divine nature knows everything. So when we talk about the incarnation, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, was still had all of the omni properties, including omnipresence. This is how, when he sees Andrew under the fig tree, he can see Andrew under the fig tree when he's miles away. 
because he is omnipresent. Um, this is this is this is a an, an entire doctrine called the extra Calvinisticum, um, and you can read more about it if you like. Uh, there's a book called The Omnipresence of Jesus Christ. So this has all sorts of theological implications, especially for communion, Lord's Supper, um, that kind of thing. So when we talk about Jesus taking on the additional human nature, that does not mean that he was fully contained in the human nature, that you know nobody was taking care of upholding the universe at that point. Make you the sensei. There's a there's a Latin term for the communication of the properties. It's the communicado idiomatum. Oh my gosh, I was gonna say that as a joke, but it is actually right. So I should have said it and acted smart. Yeah, no, yeah, it's the communication of the properties, the communicado idiomatum. Hello, Rags. Good morning. I've always kind of thought of it. That's good, good, good. I mean, you kind of explained it better than I probably could have, obviously. But I've always thought that Jesus, you know, became dependent upon the Father, not in a sense that it's a, it's a need base, but he kind of, you know, what well, this says, he, he emptied himself. But so all the information and knowledge was coming from the spirit of the Father, in a sense, that's the way I've always thought about it, in a way. Um, you know, he didn't, in a sense, access it himself. He trusted the Father to work through him, so to speak. So he trusted the Father to give him the knowledge, give him the power to do everything, even though he could access it himself. But he, that's the way I've always thought about it. Is that her heretical to think? Uh, it's not heretical, but it's imprecise. I mean, so what we would say is that Again, the communication of the properties, the, the divine person is communicating things to the human nature. Um, you know, now, when he says, you know, it is my food to do the will of the Father, remember, God only has one will, right? So the Trinity only has a single will and a single mind. So the persons are not differentiated by a mind or a will. They have one mind and one will within the essence and so when we're talking about the will of the second person of the Trinity, that is going to be identical to the Father's will. Now, I heard, I don't know if he was in here or somewhere else, um, could Jesus' human nature have a will separate from his divine nature? Is that possible? Yes, that is, that is the correct view, yes. That is called dithelitism. That means that there is the divine will, like the will of the second person of the Trinity, um, and then there is the human will. And so we believe that Jesus uniquely had two wills. And that, that is called dithelitism. Now that asks the question, would the Holy Spirit and the Father have their own separate will or do they still have the same will? They Did have the, the same that? will. Yes, so they, they all have one will. So there's one will, one mind. It's something called divine simplicity. No, I got you. I mean, yeah. I also think, I've also also heard divine simplicity is that there's no parts, right? God is not made of parts. Uh, that is correct. 100%.
Wow, we are getting some wind here now. Maybe the spirit. You didn't pray hard enough, Nate. That's the problem. No. Oh man, Howard no. Brown sent sent it this way. Oh man. No, we were just talking about the Holy Spirit, so it just—he's like, "I'm here. Make sure you talk about me." This like came out like the the water was like all nice and calm like an hour ago. I was in my dungeon doing some work. I came out and it's like it's like legit waves, man. Like there are some waves. Yeah, we don't got, we don't barely even have any rain. I'm surprised that people aren't barking me up for work right now. I think everybody's just kind of taking a hurricane day. Yeah, like they, they planned for it. Like they went through the trouble of it. So yeah, why not? Make the most of it. My kids totally should have gone to school though. Bro, my, my wife is still asleep. She must have really needed sleep. Like we went to bed at like 10 o'clock last night and she is still snoozing. She's a full yeah, kid, 11 hours. My kids never want to like get up and around for school, but now that they don't have school, they've been awake since like before I was. It's like talking and playing and giggling. I'm like, oh, come on. Why don't you do this on a school day? And you can play for a couple hours. Right, I promise right, yeah. that's just water. Does this sound like something really bad? Can you even hear that? Like I'm getting water out of my like water filter? Yeah, it sounds like a pee-in. Um, <laughs> but uh, if I was, could I year old, turn it off and on? I mean, Ew, I stop that. <laughs> it's a water filter. Uh huh. Sure. Or just let it go for like five minutes. Just... Friendly room. Yeah. It's like the naked gun joke. I'll provide the water ambience for uh, Steph's uh, cello playing. Yeah. I think uh, I think Anchorman did That's pretty good, thing. though. You just learned the Hobbit thing like, just like that. You never did it before? No, yeah, I have done that. And I can't tell you how hard it is to play a child's instrument because the strings are really, really, really close together. It's not designed for it. So I'm playing like three strings at one time. Not great. Yeah, nice. Oh, you'll be able to, you could, uh, you, could, you could turn the cello into a corded instrument. Like, you know, you, you play like three strings at a time, you've got a chord. Well, you'd have Why to no tune it that? differently. Yes, cello, very skilled. Okay, so the most common style of music where that happens is like Appalachian mountain music. They play like, and you've heard that, where they play like two or three strings to the violin at the same time. It's amazing. Yeah. That's, a, that's an incredible skill to do on an instrument that's tuned A-E-D-G. That's like really hard to do, or E-A. Because you can play chords on a ukulele because it's different, right? It's four strings, but they're tuned different. And it's impressive. Okay, it's impressive. Mozart did not intend for you to play more than one string at a time most of the time. Did Mozart invent the violin? Uh, yes. Well, okay, I guess I don't know. I have played accompaniment for Mozart. I guess I don't know if he wrote the accompaniment or not. Did he? I don't know. Well, but, but did he like, physically invent piece. the violin? Who invented the invent? violin? Invent? No. I th I'm sorry. I thought you asked whether he played, whether he wrote music for the violin. Oh, yeah. I don't know about that, but who? I, I'm just curious as to like, I mean, I guess some instruments just go off into the fog of antiquity. We just don't really know who invented them. 
<clears throat> the violin, as we know it today, developed over centuries and cannot be attributed to a single inventor. However, its design and evolution are credited to various makers and cultures, with contributions from Italy in the 16th century being partially significant, particularly, I can't read, significant. Notable early makers include Andrea Amati and his descendants, who played a crucial role in shaping the violin's design and construction. All right. Who invented the hurdy hurt? Who invented the hurdy-gurdy? I wonder that one. What is that? Come on, Chris. You're like the Renaissance man. When I think of, like, you know, among us, who who would be best suited for, like, the 1500s? I think of you. And one yeah, of those, like, hats sure. and everything, like, like running around, like, you know, lighting lighting fires for heretics. and. <laughs> okay. I wouldn't yeah, hurdy, hurdy. You're just going to have to just, just Google hurdy-gurdy. It's like a, a medieval thing with, like, um... I, I don't know. It's like very ominous tones. It, it's keep going, Nate. You can do this. I, I don't know how. I don't know how to explain it. How would you explain it? Of course, you know what it is, art person. Like you know, it's like it's like got what? Like uh, is it like seven or eight strings or whatever? But but it lays flat, kind of like a steel guitar, but it's all like wooden strings. And you, it's kind of like an accordion too. Like you, you have a handle and you like crank the handle, which like moves. Hold the on, strings. I got this. And then you Chris, press buttons to push down, and that's what makes the tone. Chris, picture any Caravaggio painting. It's that instrument. Oh. You're welcome. I've always kind of wondered what that thing is. So that was some art history nerd nerding right it there. It was, but it worked. I've actually never heard it played, though, but it has multiple. So instead of a violin, it has multiple. Like, a violin has one bridge. A hurdy-gurdy has multiple bridges, Hurdy so you have different sets of strings that go down it. They're tuned in different keys. And then it's got a keyboard somewhere on it, doesn't it? Like it uses yeah, it's like air somehow. Sound, sounds like yeah. an extremely difficult instrument to play. Hope I don't get a copyright striking on me. Uh, let me pull up something. So could I chime in here for a minute because I heard uh, some one moment, or, or yeah, you chime in to the hurdy-gurdy sounds. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I was just going to because I I heard uh, uh, Steph say that it was a violin and something about Mozart, and I had a thought come to my mind. It was an episode of Mash where Charles Emerson Winchester the Third, please Mozart, and and he's he's listening to Mozart, you, you know, in Mash, and then it made me think of Chris. So I'm gonna start calling Chris Emerson. I'm I'm gonna start calling him Winchester. I fully approve. Perfect. Let's have this be the soundtrack to the rest of the day. Who's ready to, like, get on some horses and go, like, you know, slay some evil? Yeah, have, who's with me? I have a crossbow. Get closer to your speaker. Let's mount, like, a jousting pole on a bicycle for a modern mayor. Get closer awesome. to your speaker, Nate. I'm, I can't get any closer. My head's right next to the thing. Hang on, let me crank it up. Oh my gosh. Hey, there you go. There we go. All right. All attribution, like... nor all attribution to the Northern Ballad Hurdy Gurdy organ drawn and drummed by Andrew Vino Gravadov. 
I, I feel oh, like I, I feel like Steph lives in a Renaissance sphere. The if I could, I would also live. Always tuned to a minor key. I don't. I think it's. I think that's another thing about it that makes it sound very ominous. <laughs> Felix says he's thinking of the bubonic plague now. <laughs> I do not have the plague. But speaking of the plague, New York State is implementing mask mandates. You guys, do you want to talk about that? Oh, no. I do want to talk about that. Okay, this is the craziest no. thing. Okay, this is the craziest thing. All right. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm going to, like, half, half the people are like, I'm not going to believe in God for what Nate's about to say now. Like, okay, I was watching this thing, and occasionally, like, clips will come across, right? Like, Alex Jones with the frogs, and Alex Jones with other stuff, and yelling and screaming, and, like, amazing memes, because they're hilarious. Anyway, this thing came around, like, it, it was a couple weeks ago. It was, like, Thursday. I think it was on, like, a Thursday night, or Thursday, whenever he does his thing. And he was on there, he's like, I have a high level of intelligence saying that, you know, starting like blah, 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 they're going to like reinstate mask mandates and here it comes, get ready for it and blah, blah, blah and all this other stuff. He's like, TSA, the airports, they're all going to start doing it. Like out of nowhere, right? He was like, I have a source. And then it's like five or six hours later, like all the news clips like come out like, oh God, like unrelated, like all the news clips, people start posting things like, get ready, master coming. We're going to have to go back to lockdowns. College is requiring vaccinations. It's just like out of nowhere overnight, they decided to like start doing all this stuff again. So like, holy crap. I'm like, again, doesn't make him a profit, but I mean, I'm more inclined to trust that as a source of news than CNN, for example. Anyways, it was uncanny. Like the guy just brought up a topic that no one had been really paying attention to and like masks and lockdown and all that stuff had kind of faded out of people's minds. And he's like, they're bringing it back. They're bringing it back. And like five hours later, every news channel was like, we're bringing it back. We're bringing it back. Like, wow. That's all I got. Steph, what do you think about that? Um, I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's not wrong. I'm pretty upset. I think that they, cause at the end of whatever, at the end of COVID, so not this past year, but the end of the year before our school district was in this big debate about whether they were going to require vaccinations for kids because the state strongly recommended it. And then they left it up to the district. So I chose where I live very carefully for this exact reason. I live in a very politically diverse community. Like we're on the outskirts of the witch coven place. So there's still a lot of farmers here. So it's kind of nice evenly split between conservative and liberal in my town. And they decided not to implement a vaccine requirement for children under the age of 16. So um, I am going to get to pray in again and prepare my finances for if we need to homeschool. That's, that's about where I am. God helps those who help themselves. Come on down. Chris is going to give you a real good deal on his rental property. Just make the move to Florida. I mean, that's he wants a to buy a conversation rent. all the time. Leaving New York Seriously. is like like yeah. like Florida. Like okay, so first of all, your husband's like a like a craftsman contractor guy, right? Like does yep crazy intricate whatever like restoring nineteen twenty stuff. That's it. Yes. Yes. So like. There's zillions of those properties in Florida. He could he could make a bazillion dollars here, and there's a building boom, and all the real estate is nuts. Bungalow. So you could make a zillion dollars being, and then sell realtor. all of it and give it to charity. And yeah, no, could be... and the homeschooling co-op we do, classical conversations, they have like the highest concentration of communities in Florida. So trust Correct. me, it's been a topic of conversation.
and right. you would be able to find churches down here more to your suit, more to your liking, where you didn't have to be forced to go to the Calvinist church, oh, where you could Lord. actually find a conservative United Methodist church if that fits your fancy. Yeah, you don't have an aversion to women pastors, you can go to mine. <laughs> no, I'm not trying to do free Methodist women pastors. They also yeah. have Amish mm-hmm. community in Florida. Sorry. Oh, yeah. I heard that. I got I got video of them in the at the beach. I took a video of them at the beach. They rode their bikes to the beach. Did I, Steph, did, did, you, did I send you the YouTube of the documentary about the guy who's the missionary to the Amish? No, but I'm very interested in that. I, oh, wow. Is that the guy that came out of Do the Amish? Do Amish really need mission? Do Amish really need missionaries? Like, aren't they uh, theologically well, correct yeah. enough? Like, I no, think they, they're like, correct. Most of them... Well, no, they, none of them even know anything about the Bible or the gospel because it's because most of them who are under the age of 90 don't speak any Pennsylvania Dutch. And so they just, they have, so this guy was just explaining basically, because he was former Amish, right? So he was explaining that essentially like when they read the scripture, they read it with um, helps above the scripture that tell them how to pronounce it. And no one knows what they're talking about. So they'll read out of the Bible and like absolutely nobody knows what's going on including okay, the person that's who's reading it not true they also keep copies of the king james around like they do read the bible in english but their services are in dutch right so, i'm just saying th- i'm just they, saying like just watch this documentary i, I saw mean, that I, documentary. I know nothing personally it. about it i just know what i'm going for for this documentary and he was basically yeah. saying that yeah i saw the first that documentary time he, it's good you saw that it's yeah. good right so the like, biggest the, problem with the Amish theology is that they don't, they actually reject the Great Commission. Um, so that I think that ends up being there and, and that causes all sorts of problems. They believe that the Englishers, the, the non-Amish are, um, you know, not saved and there's toasty. no real way to. Yeah. So, so they became incredibly insular and they don't evangelize, but then that leads to some problems within the community. But I think, I think doctrinally, they're pretty sound, but that one issue tends to cause a whole ton of problems. Well, basically in this documentary, the dude was like, he he never even had heard the gospel until he was like in his 30s. Yeah, his mother, like his growing mother. Growing up in a... Did you see what he said yeah. about his mom? No, what, what I, I don't remember. Been... Well, you know, they, they shunned them, right? So his mom doesn't even... Um, for her birthday, he still shows up, but she doesn't want to speak to him, see him, or nothing like that. Well, that's so, yeah, you can't chat, leave the community. Oh. Yeah, hey guys, Let's see, random has concerns about Florida's education. I guess we could talk about that, but I mean, I you know, as Michael would that. say, to throw a grenade, I'll just start and say that at least they're curtailing unnecessary thing in prime things in primary school, like drag and pronouns and all that nonsense and how to have sex at five so you know if they are not producing the nation's greatest rocket scientists eh, i'm okay with that but here's the thing there's the start they are okay so it'll take a generation but florida has adopted classical education this is a huge huge move this is great this is great just like statistically and nobody likes that it's craig or you Okay, fine. We don't like that it's PragerU, whatever. They could have picked anything. Classical education statistically performs better. There are still countries like India utilizes classical education, and they far outperform us. So you don't like PragerU, have the conversation be about PragerU, but Florida adopting classical education, they are going to produce the best students in the country within a generation.
what do you say about that random? If you're, are you speaking? Oh no. Uh, so th there are, there are some, <clears throat> excuse me. And, and it kind of relates to what you guys were just talking about. There are some standards that, uh, that Florida is accepting that, uh, concerns me, uh, greatly as, uh, uh, mostly in the historical capacity. Um, like but, what? uh, I, I will uh, I will concede that there is an aspect of classical education uh, that is probably very beneficial, uh, and that is the statistics for classical education that kind of brings students higher. So I will acknowledge the classical education aspect. What would your like concerns be? Your top three concerns? Uh, you already brought it up the the PragerU, um, the utilizing PragerU as an educational source um, is. Very concerning, uh, given the fact that they uh, are in no way accredited. Um, they have no educational, like significant accreditation or, or seeming capacity to uh, abide by truth. Um, and that would be concerning to me. So, so are you upset that they've abandoned the 1619 project? Is that sort of where your, where your issue is coming from? No, no, I, I'm, I'm making specific reference to uh, some uh, of the uh, uh, just uh, admittedly a segment of the of the, the Prager University material that I've watched um, because I heard Columbus about this video. Can I take a guess? Uh, it was the Columbus not video? just not, it's not just a singular one. Uh, there okay, are multiple videos. Give a quick so background the, about the controversies because I'm I'm wholly unfamiliar with the PragerU stuff. So could okay, PragerU like, is a yeah. conservative. Or I mean, I know that much. That, okay, but, they but the concerning free, stuff, yeah. Like Hillsdale College, they offer free classical education curriculum to homeschoolers. So this they've been doing this for a long time. Like Hillsdale College also offers a free curriculum for homeschool that's classical education. So the problem that people tend to have with it is that in the American history segment, they forsake any sort of guilting. Like the, people are upset because, for example, a video has gone around Twitter of a uh, PragerU video that's like that they're showing their students that has a little girl. What is it? A little girl and her brother are standing on Christopher Columbus's ship and they're clearly modern day. They have like purple hair and nose rings and whatever. And they're talking to Columbus about the slave trade and they're explaining to him wow we can't believe that you're trading slaves this is horrible and he says yes and one of the most inflammatory lines he says is yes it is horrible but isn't it better if we take them as slaves isn't it better than them dying so if you and so people are highlighting this as like wow they're teaching children that the white people came and saved the slaves from being killed in africa right but if you continue to watch the clip Columbus says, that's what people thought in my day. That's how they justified this. And the children say back to him, it's not a justification. You can't take people from their homeland and say that it's better than dying. And Columbus says, I am so glad that humanity has progressed that far. I'm happy that there's hope for the future. But in my day and age, that kind of morality doesn't exist. So it's like people have feelings about that, but that's the way they're teaching history and people don't like it. Right. And, and the other thing, too, is that, look, most history classes for the last 40 years, and this has been this was my experience in school, are based on Howard Zinn and his people's history of the United States. And so, you know, the idea here is that history, especially U.S. history classes and world history classes, have been left wing propaganda for generations. 
And now that somebody is pushing back against left-wing propaganda, now it's being like, whoa, we've got to clutch our pearls because they're not teaching real, quote-unquote, real history, which is the history that I learned in school, instead of actually looking at the primary sources, which is where classical education is going, is they're going to primary sources rather than a single source like Howard Zinn, who was an avowed communist. And so, you know, the idea here is that left-wing history education is the gold standard that everyone uses for accreditation. And if we are rejecting the left-wing standard, then we are rejecting objective history. And that is the contention. Uh, so random, does that about sum up your position? And that's where most of your complaints are. It's not like they are really bad at teaching math, but it's a lot of like social centered issues or I guess history in this case. Yeah, I mean, uh, as from specifically the Prager University angle, uh, they kind of focus on the, the social studies aspect and that therein lies my concern. Uh, not to say that they can't speak truth or utilize primary sources, uh, but I would be thoroughly concerned about the, the approaches that they take. Um, and and not, not to say that they, they can't teach accurate history, uh, because it, it is true, like, uh, there are some eccentric sources uh, just clipping parts of uh, Prager University uh, videos, um, and then just kind of like, it's basically like cherry picking, obviously, uh, these sections and just people going absolutely wild. Uh, I, I'm not going to like clutch pearls in that sense. Um, but uh, I, I do not trust Prager University uh, completely as a whole to accurately represent history. And then so so what's the deal with like what Florida, like the state of Florida is adopting Prager U's history? Like history classes no. in public school, they're implementing some PragerU free resources. Along some the, teachers like to sub like supplementary. Now, well, they simply now have the freedom to do so. so right. If yeah. You're a history teacher, right? It's not. It's not that. It, it's it not is, that they're mandating. This. Yeah. It's that if your history teacher wants to use PragerU, they can use PragerU. Yeah, it can be okay. part of the curriculum. Not not a, that it it absolutely is. Well, I mean, all things considered, like I am infinitely uh, more at peace with, you know, what was said about PragerU and the explanation, you know, of what it truly was that Steph gave, you know, assuming that's accurate, no reason for her to lie. So I'm infinitely more at peace with that for history than LGBTPS, drag queen story time, sex with kids for science and biology. So if those are the two choices, give me PragerU all day long. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's where me and most people in the state of Florida stand. I'm good with that. Yeah, and, and at the end of the day, I, I acknowledge I, I'm not in Florida. I was born and raised in Florida. Uh, I was oh, cool. educated in public schools in Florida. Um, oh, and uh, uh, Melbourne, the Melbourne area. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm in Winter Park. Oh, okay, cool. Um, not that far. Uh, but... Uh, there, there, his history was, uh, I, after leaving Florida, there have been some things that I noticed that I, I was just never taught. Um, and I don't know, I, I'm not going to say that like, oh, that means that the Florida education system is terrible. Like, I'm not going to like broad stroke that to, to degrees, but, uh, I'm just concerned having been from Florida.
Well, cool. I, I mean, I guess my level of concern, you know, if I was in one of these other places we're talking about, um, my concern would rise to the level of, yes, like absolutely homeschool, or since I would be a terrible homeschool teacher or supervisor, I'd probably just have to get out of the state and go somewhere else. Um, AJ, sorry to skip you. I, I saw you there now. Did you have anything to say? I don't know how you got up here without me knowing or Steph's just inviting everyone. <laughs> I did, welcome, yeah. AJ. No, did I, you have a, I've been accepting. But just so uh, you can watch the Columbus video, I just pinned it and you can decide. This is the video that's made everyone so upset, that's made the rounds, so you can decide what you think about how they are portrayed. Are you listening to like Celtic music in the background? Yes, my children were inspired did by I... your... Yes, you did this to me. <laughs> I'm happy. Yes. That should be music education right there. Like forget like pop and EDM, like beats teaching. Like we need to go back to like hurdy gurdies and like, you know, it's Celtic actually a tin whistle an Irish tin whistle as part of their homeschool curriculum. So that is what they... uh, I, I have one of those. I, I, it was between my low D whistle and the penny whistle. Um, when I regaled you with the, the Hobbit song. Beautiful. Thank you. Could have just as easily picked up that tin whistle, except it's kind of shrill on the headphones. So yeah. I spared you. I love that thing, man. It just sounds so awesome. I, I truly enjoy, and and I think everyone will agree with me, the fact that uh, children will torture their parents. And I truly enjoy that Steph's children have found the buttons. <laughs> hey or guys. you can embrace this. Hey, AJ, what's up? Sorry, I interrupted. No, go ahead. Thanks, sorry, because I might drag um, the conversation a little bit um, back to the, the title. And I'm assuming questions about Christianity. Yes. Thanks. So may I ask a question? Sure. Thanks. So um, correct me on this, center, on this statement. So the father has sent the son... And uh, sent the Son, and the Son has sent the Holy Spirit. And the, the Son is going to send us to the Father, and the Son and the Holy Spirit submitted their will to the Father. And that's all one God, right? So it was correct, that statement. Chris, would you like to correct or affirm that statement? Yeah, it's kind of a jumble. So... Uh, the Holy Spirit spirates from the Father and the Son, um, and uh, God has a single will and a single mind. And so when we say that they submitted their will, it just means that they all have a single will. So in the Trinity, there is God has one mind, one will. That is the essence of God. He is now all. He is also three persons. So those three persons have what we call uh, fellowship with each other in something called the inner Trinitarian communion. So we don't divide God up. God is not made of parts. Well, what if I don't agree with none of that? What, what, Steph, what's why the, did you let him sorry. up here? Yeah. Anyways, uh, AJ, did that... Did you follow that well enough, AJ? Yeah, so if that's the case, then... Yeah, yeah. Um, and thanks for... Um, answering me but is that like a so this so what is a person just start with there like is that a person like this what is the sun explain the sun 
So a person is a divine is a sorry, a person is a individual subsistence of a rational nature. That is the definition of person. Could that mean it's a gyrate? Could he, could a person be a gyrate? Oh my goodness! Continue. So, I mean, I have a simple mind. I mean, it, so it's like it's like God is like the center, and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is somehow tools that God. I don't know. I mean, it's it's quite. So, what about the, like the Orthodox people, uh, where they say that the Father has some sort of quote unquote superior position than the Son? Yeah, that's just called monarchical. We talked about this yesterday. That's just called monarchical Trinitarianism. Um, you know, I, I believe in the economic trinity. They believe in the social trinity. They're almost the same thing. It's not that God is, it's not that the persons are not equal because they are within that conception. They simply say that a saity or the idea of God not needing anything, um, that flows from the Father eternally to the Son and the Spirit. So they would say that aseity flows from the Father. It's not that he is superior, it is that the aseity of God flows from the Father. And that is still a, an orthodox view. Um, I just think it presents some logical problems. Yeah, so just to wrap it up. So in other words, I could say that God sent God to earth, right? So, because if, if you say the Father sent the Son, it's like saying God sent God down to earth and God is going to take us back to God and God and God submitted their wills to God himself, right? Sure. Um, Why not? But, but why would God submit him to himself if God is it's himself, right? Like when you say, I, sorry. I, so you have, a, you have a Muslim conception of submission. Um, that is not, that is not, uh, we have, a, we have a conception of subordination, right? Yeah. So, so I'm not a Muslim just to correct you. Sorry to interrupt you. I'm not a Muslim. Oh, sorry. Okay. Well, uh, to be fair, it was like a Muslim understanding. I mean, you know, an atheist could have a Muslim understanding. Yeah. Well, like... to be extremely honest, I come from a Muslim background, so maybe that's, that's what intent. Yeah. So just how, yeah, like your understanding, it's like, you know, I will have a, one understanding of time, someone in a different culture may have a slightly different understanding of time. It doesn't mean, you know, they, they are a certain thing. It just means that's how they kind of look at things. That's all. Uh, who was talking? Was it you, Chris? That were, yeah, you're about to explain, right? Oh, I mean, I, again, I think so, AJ, like, yeah. So, like, I would say that, um, again, we don't have God's, we don't have the Son and the Spirit submitting to the Father it's that Jesus, when he is in the incarnation, submits his will, not my will, but yours be done. Because again, again, this gets into some complex issues, but Jesus in the incarnation, he is, he has a human nature that has its own will. And so when he's saying, I submit to the father, what he's saying there is that the human nature's will is in full submission to the divine will. Okay, but that wouldn't that make him two persons, like a divine and human, nope. and one that knows everything the other doesn't? Right, so no, uh, that would be something called Nestorianism, and the classical Christian position is that there is, there's a difference between um, person and nature, and so when we talk about 
the incarnation, we say that it is the divine person that takes on an additional human nature. And person and nature are different. Person is the individual subsistence of a rational nature, and a nature is underneath the idea of person. Gotcha. So, so just they're, two different, they're two different categories. All right. So God is one in nature, three persons. But when Jesus came down to earth, he's, he's in one person, but two natures, right? Yes, he takes on it. Perfect. Yes, he takes on an additional human nature, the second person of the Trinity, not the full essence of God. Just the second person of the Trinity takes on an, an additional human nature. Interesting. And when he came down, would it make sense to say that the Son, quote-unquote, split from the triune God? Or how would you describe the descending? Right. So, so again, the, the divine person is never separated from the Trinity. Okay, so Jesus, as the second person of the Trinity, retained all of his his omni attributes. It's just that when he takes on that divine, or oh, I'm sorry, when he takes on the additional human nature, um, that human nature never penetrates the divine nature. Okay, the divine person, um, and so the second person of the Trinity never ceased to be God. He never. Uh, cease the inter-Trinitarian inter communion, all of that was unchanged, because God is immutable. He is unchanging. God cannot change. That is one of the definitions of God that makes God God, is that he is incapable of change. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Nate. Steve, follow. Sure. Hang on, Preach. I thought I saw you. Did you raise your hand, or do you have anything to say, or anyone else? Son of a prophet. Chris, you ready to continue on your fun having streak? What's up, Unpreach? How are you Bob's doing? Bob's still banned. Steph J. What's up? Okay, it used to be a, a black guy. He had that same account. Are y'all married? Without dudes. No, you're thinking of SJ. This guy is the bane of my existence right now. So SJ is like the... Is that who you're thinking yeah, of? Yeah, yeah, I miss SJ. Yeah, That's my no. boy. Unrelated. Un completely unrelated. No, oh, okay. Uh, copied me. Hey, Nate. <laughs> here's, uh, here's my question, Nate. Look, Nate. Do you believe that Christ Thank is you. living in you? Like, sure. literally. Um, literally, yes, but literally not flesh and blood, literally. Like, I don't have a person living inside of me, but, you know, we're told the Holy Spirit lives within you. You know, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So in a spiritual, literal sense, sure. Would that be a person inside of you, then? I literally just explained that. So, yeah, you got a person inside. Sure, whatever. Sure, whatever, or like I'm for real, like yeah, in, in like a in like a a spiritual sense, sure. In a do I have another like physical material being living inside of me? No. 
Alright, cool. I was just making sure. Do you believe that you are a spirit living in a body who has a soul? Sure. Okay. Do you believe because of that, you're sinless? What? Yeah, do you believe because of everything you just said, you're sinless? Uh, no. I'm probably about to sin right now. Oh, okay. Okay. That was very scary from a believer. Because <laughs> that sounds like a willingly attempt to sin. I'm joking. I mean, I may be tempted to do something unchristian because of where this conversation's going. Just, just a little bit of whimsy. I, I feel what peace in my soul about making some jokes like that. Um, but are, are you a Christian, or where are you coming from? No, I'm, I'm, I'm full-grown believer of Christ. But wait, if you're right, friends just... with SJ, are you oneness? Uh, uh, not necessarily. I'm not, not. I, I wouldn't. I like. I don't agree to everything that they have in their doctrine, but I do believe in one. Uh, you can't box me in, so like, let's not even try to categorize me. Do you I'm a son of God. subscribe to Trinitarianism at all? Uh, there are some things that I do hold to according to the Trinity, like uh, the persons, like far as the Son, the Father, the Holy Spirit. So These do you believe are... that God is three persons or one person who takes on different forms? Uh, I believe that God is one person, uh, but I believe that he's manifested in three different forms. Okay, so he's like a modalist oneness. Something like that. <clears throat> but it's crazy because you did all that just to categorize me after I told yes, you. Yes, I did. You, so I'll, I'll tell you why. Just categorize yourself. Uh, well, yeah. I'll, I'll I think that's the only way you guys can design. I mean, let me ask y'all this, right? And, wait, wait. and, I, and I, I'm with Nate. I believe that the Holy Spirit does live inside of believers. And I believe that the Holy Spirit comes with gifts. And one of those gifts are discernment. So it's like, is that's the only way that y'all can use discernment? Hold on. So it's not about discernment. It's about, like, there are... Nothing that you could possibly think about Christianity is new, right? Hopefully. I don't know. If you come up with something new, you'll have to talk to Bob. Bob is kind of on his own thing down there. But if you're if you're even orbiting the church tradition, nothing that you're going to think of is new. Uh, so it's helpful when we study history or when we study, it's helpful to use terms to say, I identify with this or this person identifies with that so that we can have the conversation. It's impossible to have a conversation if it's kind of this intangible, like, well, I don't really hold to this. I don't really hold to that. But you do like, there's a label for what you believe. And so now that we know it, it's helpful to continue. Does that make sense? It do make sense. But as you continue to talk with me, you will realize, like, you will realize that, there are some things that I believe kind of like in every doctrine. So it's like, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to be boxed in because if I believe in one thing, if I believe something according to the Trinitarian doctrine that may be contradicting to the oneness doctrine, then that makes me not a oneness anymore. You see what I'm saying? It causes yeah. One no, I see what you're saying. But what you described where you believe that God is one person manifests in three parts and that he takes on these different recognizable parts, that the term for that is generally modalism. And so you could say that you agree. You don't have to subscribe to every part about modalism, but when it comes to how God functions, that's the name for what you believe. So it's just helpful to know.
No, I I got you though, but I also believe that like there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and I do believe that they are distinct from each other. So I'm a, a person who, you know, will say, okay, yeah, you obviously are modalist believing that manifestation, but obviously you're trinitarian too because you believe in distinctions. But I don't believe in the distinctions in the same way that you you trinitarian. Yeah, like I'm not trying to psychoanalyze you to, to such a great degree. Like it's just like to lay the groundwork, right? If we believe the yeah, Bible yeah. at all, and I do, it's being a good steward of what God has entrusted us with. So, um, you know, for example, this is ask a Christian, right? So if someone has a question for a Christian, um, and I'm not sure where they're coming from. Like, you know, if someone's like, a, like that, like, you know, do you believe Christ is a person? Do you believe Christ lives in you? If you were, if I thought you were going to go in some like new age spirit energy, like how we're all gods. I would answer that very different, like, you know, because I know where you're coming from. So I wouldn't say stuff to like waste your time. Um, I, I would answer that maybe at a different angle. Um, not good, not bad, but, you know, tr try to like, you know, be efficient with the answer instead of answering the questions how I did from your position, um, only to find out after talking for 20 minutes, we're talking past each other. You don't know what I mean. And I've been addressing your questions all wrong just because we have like a basic misunderstanding. So it's just being a good steward. Uh, like if someone says, hey, are you a Christian? Yeah. And they're like, oh, do you believe the Trinity? Which happens all the time. Like I don't get all like, you know, in a fit about it. I'm like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe in the Trinity. And then if they're like, oh, well, you like, like we were just talking about, are you a, a, do, you, do you believe like a monarchical Trinitary, uh, Trinitarian? Are you a monarchical Trinitarian or a hierarchical Trinitarian? It's like, oh, okay, well, at that point, you know, there may be some subtle differences, but it never needs to go that far. Like, it, it doesn't need to be dialed down that much, but it is helpful to be like, yeah, I'm a Christian, I believe in the Trinity. So then we're not wasting time, only to find out, like, you know, I believe in modalism or something like that. So it's just, uh, I don't know, it's like when you meet people. Like, one of the first things they do is, oh, what do you do for a job? I hate it when people ask that, by the way, but it is helpful. Because if you're like, I don't know, if you're a meet and greet and meeting someone, it's like, oh, hey, I'm a doctor. Oh, hey, I'm an attorney. Well, it's like you're going to have conversation based on that. Like you don't want to like start talking to a, a doctor and drum up conversation and talk about like, oh, I was reading these law briefs the other day and blah, blah. blah. The doctor's eyes are just going to gloss over and he'll be like, this is the most annoying person I've ever met. You're like, oh, what do you do? Like, oh, I'm a doctor. Like, oh, I just saw something in a you know, medical today journal and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, great. You can have a conversation with people. I don't no know. Though, what Nate. we do I, in any other part of our life. I get it though, Nate. Like, okay, like. Like, when, you do, when you put it like that, I get it. But I don't know, man. Sometimes it's like I try not to. I try to be considerate of the person that's inside of me, Christ. So I try not to prejudge people based off what I know. Well, yeah, do you have a, have a question? Sense. Sure, I got it. Did you have a que another question or anything? You're probably also just used to a lot of hostility on the app and you'll find that that varies like some people are very allergic the second they smell any kind of oneness anything they'll get very allergic and throw people out of rooms and stuff but generally this is a fairly tolerant room unless chris there has a green bean so watch out for that or store stuff starts throwing people down for talking about oh no oh. oh beast beast mode yesterday man <laughs> they almost scared me, though, when he made that comment about sinning like that, though. He almost scared me, bro. Well. So, do you believe that you're sinless, though? According to the person inside of you?
like sinless perfection, which is part of the reason I asked the question I was asking. No. Like, do we still sin? Yes. Do we try not to? Hopefully. Are we, are we perfect? Like if we like, are, are we saying like we, we do sins? Like if I, if I like, I don't know, <clears throat> do something that would be a sin. Um, even though we all agree I'm doing that, are we saying that's not a sin because it, it's like forgiven or I'm saved and that that's not a sin? Or are we saying we will never do something that is a sin because we are completely sinless and perfect? No, it's, it's, it's not what I'm saying. What I'm, what I'm saying is, okay, I'm, I may have to take into consideration a scripture. I don't know if you read it or ever stumbled across it, but it's in First Corinthians 6 and 17. You might read What's the scripture? First Corinthians 6 and 17. Keep in mind, I'm a believer like you, a believer who has Christ in there. You're okay, son. You're First, okay. <laughs> when you'll, First you Corinthians. Won't get me First Corinthians. Let's get the ESV. All right. First Corinthians 6 and 17. 17. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one in spirit with him, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Well, you read it so, like, you read over it so fast, I don't know if you really caught probably the scripture I was really in. Well, I mean, I'm very familiar with it, but what's the point? So, yeah, you're joined to the Lord in one spirit. So if we're trying to say that means you never sin, I would say, no, that's unbiblical. If you're trying to say something else, then I'm listening. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, if the Bible says that any man that is joined with the Lord is one spirit, and you have a spirit that's joined with Christ, and the Bible says that any man is joined with the Lord, one spirit, I believe that that spirit of Christ is in you. So I don't see why you should. I don't see why a believer, right, wouldn't live their life in complete consciousness of who they, of their spiritual identity. And the reason that I said that is because if you do live a life according to your spiritual, you know, completely conscious of your spiritual identity, this perfectly explains 1 John 3 and 9, which, in fact, invokes that a believer is somewhat sinless by way of the son or sonship in God. Uh, but I do understand what you mean. No. I, I, I do, I do get what you like, mean. No. So the, the traditional idea put forth by the reformers and put forth in the scripture is that we are simultaneously righteous, i.e., righteous in christ that he gives us his perfect life to stand in for us so that when god sees us he doesn't see our sin he sees the perfect life of christ but we are also simultaneously a sinner that is the teaching of the scripture hallelujah amen oh well you must you must not believe in first john three and nine. Oh, I okay no, i'm just able not... to read it correctly Right. So I don't think it's a fair assessment to say that just because, um, first of all, Chris is right. I'd just start there. Secondly, if, if what you're saying is true, then that means you're ignoring first, uh, Corinthians 10 on what basis is anybody tempted if they're incapable of sinning after they're joined to Christ? 
So it, it doesn't follow. We're still in a fallen nature. Christ. So being joined to Christ is not the same thing as not still experiencing temptation. And then if you're experiencing temptation, that means you have the capacity to fall. But if you have the capacity to fall and you're joined to Christ, your sins are forgiven because he already atoned for it. So it's like he has good credit. You have messed up credit. And the only reason why you can purchase stuff is because you have his credit card. That's pretty much it. You're still messed up in terms of understanding money, but he already got it taken care of. Yeah, not, not to mention yeah, that First John one eight would be written. Yeah, we're having. So, 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 First uh, John one eight would directly contradict First John three nineteen in your reading. So correct. That does. So, 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 so the scriptures contradict each other? No, the no, scriptures no. Don't okay, wait, wait, hang on. Yeah, we're wait, 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 creating wait. a contradiction. That's what he says. Okay, so we're, wait, wait, hang on, stop, 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 blah, 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 blah. If we can't deal with very simple things, like Chris clearly said, it would contradict in your understanding. And then if there's a debate over that, we're done. Like, that's so obvious. He didn't say the Bible contradicts. He said it contradicts your understanding, if that's how you understand it. Oh, I'm sorry. But since we can't agree, since we can't, well, I mean, probably because you're talking a lot. But let's see what Lord Helix has to say. What's up, Lord Helix? Nate, you sound familiar. Have I met you on TikTok? I do not have a TikTok account. All right, thank. All right, just there's another guy on there named Nate, and I was like, That's so familiar. Is he a good <laughs> guy or a bad guy? He's a great guy, just like you. Oh, uh, well, gosh, I'd like to take credit. That doesn't mean I'm willfully sinning. Um, anyways, <laughs> <laughs> actually, I was hoping you could uh, explain to me your understanding the fate of the innocent. Oh, and just so you know, Nate, keep in mind we did skip over Daniel when he came up. Yeah, oh, what? I, I can. I, I can wait. Uh, mm -hmm. to oh gosh, I have to refresh my. I have to refresh the PTR. It doesn't see. Um, yeah. I can wait. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. Uh, Daniel, what's up? Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to skip you. Thanks, Steph, for letting me know. That's a good. And we skipped unpreached as well. And Helix, that's a good question. I want to come back to it. And last point of moderation, yes. Nate, Bob has asked me to ask you very kindly if he could please, please, pretty please, with a cherry tat on top, come up. If you oh, want to wow. bring him up, fine. Just, oh, wow. But, we just what I said about scripture. All right. Well, we'll trade Sun for Bob. So bring bring Bob back up. Bob, if someone talks about what's the state of humanity and you talk about gyrating again. The same thing is going to happen. But uh, Daniel, what's up, Daniel? Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> By the way, did yeah. anyone smell a, smell a, what is it, like a wolf in the hen house with that? Like, I believe just like you, except, well, not really, except mostly kind of the, some stuff from the Trinity, but, well, also not. And you're also reading the Bible wrong, and, you know, you're all wrong, and I really don't believe like you. I don't know. Wolf in the hen house? I, I don't know, man. Daniel, what's I up, Daniel? I promised him would be nice. Yeah. It was a fox. Uh, it was a fox. In the hen house. All right, Bob. Ah, yes. Thanks, Bob. Yes, Daniel. Okay, <laughs> yeah. So I have like a two-part question. One of them is, um, is a Christian obligated to give money to a Christian church? That's the first part. There's no strict obligation. Okay, so there's absolutely no, there's no obligation for that. It's like okay. not. Uh, I, I would want to. I would want to talk about that a little more. But no, there's not an obligation like do this or you're not saved or not a true Christian. So, yeah, we can come back to that and talk more. But 
yeah, as it is now, there's no strict obligation. Okay, and the second part is, what is the appropriate way that a Christian would donate or tithe or give money to a, a, a church? Like, what's the procedure? What's the right way to do it? What's the wrong way to do it? Um, I'll tell you, my family well, in lieu of our church, we actually do our tithing to Compassion International. So I don't know if that's the right thing to do, uh, but we sponsor kids through Compassion, and that totals a significant amount of our income. So that's the way we do it. So I would say biblically, like usually it was, okay, a, qu a quick history. I'm sure you're familiar with tithing, right? Like 10% of like grains and offering that Abraham, Abram did. Was it Abraham? Yeah, it was Abraham when he did that. So anyways, it was like 10% uh, of his first fruits, like the grain, like food. Like they would bring food to, to and give that as an offering. Anyway, so people will extrapolate that and say, well, here's 10%. So you need you need to do 10%. And they'll some people will almost make it like a, if not a command, like a, a very, very weighted thing. Like you really need to give 10% of your money. Um, and I, I don't think that's biblical. I do. I, I do that though. Like I, I give 10% of my financial income because I, I still see the biblical principles. And there's, a, you know, there's a passage in Malachi, I think three, that talks about, you know, there's like, there's all kinds of scriptures that say, don't test God, don't test God. But the only thing that does say, you know, test God, if you want to, if you want to test God, do it in this giving. And it's something like, see if he won't open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings that, you know, more than you can, more than you can even count. So even though it's not an obligation, it's not a command, um, I do uh, give 10%. And, you know, I, I have seen value in that. And I think, you know, it's it's amazing how mathematics, uh, you think, well, 100%, you can do more with than 90%. Uh, but it's funny how it just happens to be very, very coincidental, or there's something to that, test God, and, you know, the Bible's true, that, you know, when I give 10% to the church, um, you know, I, I always always seem to have enough. I'm not rich, I'm not wealthy, but I mean, you know, I always have plenty. I, I always, anyway, so I see the value in the spiritual blessings in that. Uh, so that's what I do. But then if you go to Acts, and I'll, I'll try to be brief. Um, if you go to like Acts in the church, you have people like selling all their crap. Like they sell everything and like pull it together in, in the church for a giant storehouse. And, um, you know, it's all voluntary. There's no obligation. They voluntarily do this. And anyway, so, so at that time, it's like wherever there's a need. So where there's a need, that's typically like the biblical principles where you would give. Again, it's not an obligation, but that's that's where you see that. So where there's a need, you do it. Um, and I, I, I'm not going to tell Steph she's going to hell because <laughs> there's no obligation to give to a church. But I think that, you know, the biblical design is you give to the church and let the church be like the storehouse rather than an independent organization, which, you know, there probably wasn't a lot of back then. So it's kind of a new thing. But Romans 14, 28, you know, if someone believes from faith what they're doing is right, then congratulations, it's fine. If Steph had uh, was convicted and she's like, well, I'm giving to Compassion International, but, uh, you know, I, I really feel like I should give this to the church, but no, I'm going to go ahead and give it to Compassion anyways. Well, then it would be a sin, but she clearly doesn't have that feeling. So it's not a sin for her. Um, and by the way, Steph, uh, I knew like one of the head guys for Compassion International. I used to live in Colorado Springs and it was like the third guy in, in like the, the top of the chain. He was, he was like my neighbor. He's like three houses down. Good guy. Anyway, uh, Daniel, that's. Yeah, uh, I, I was going to mention on there. I like how you use the word storehouse because wasn't back in the time where the people were giving their earnings and that's I, you specifically talk about earnings like your the crops that they were giving up as 10 percent tithe back in the day. Wasn't the church didn't the church have more significance with the community and actually the responsibility to the community itself? And it was actually 
was there as a storehouse, kind of like how we do si uh, grain silos for farmers. They they store it up, and if in times of trouble, the church was there to be able to help the community out. Um, and it wasn't just for profit, whereas like in today's society, people will give 10% to the church whether they actually have any... In they will invest in the church whether they actually get a return from the church other than spirituality and, and uh, teachings. Uh, well, I mean, if we're talking about the, the actual food when they gave food like Abraham, it was it was to support the Levitical priests. It was so. I mean, I'm I'm sure. I, I don't know, Chris, if you know. I'm sure if they had extra, they gave it to people who were like destitute and needy. But the primary reason for the ten percent was to sustain the sustain the workers and the priests at the temple because you know that that was their whole job. So they didn't they didn't farm. They didn't have outside jobs. Being priest was their job. So you know th that was the the grain to keep them fed. Um, but I mean, I'm sure they did probably dole it out. Um, I don't know if Chris has any insight on that. I believe um, part of the tithe was for the poor and needy. It wasn't just for the priests, if I'm not mistaken. So I'm... so if we talk about biblical tithing, it was 22.5%. It wasn't 10%. Correct. So 10% goes, yeah, so 10% goes to right, uh, right. the priests, 10% goes to the temple, and uh, that's basically your taxes. And then two and a half percent, well, five percent every two years. So two and a half percent per year goes to the needy. So that's how it worked out. So, so really, in ancient Israel, you paid twenty-two point five percent of your income as an income tax base. So that's, that's why right. The My bad. Thanks, Chris. To be fat. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> oh, and also, like whenever you mentioned the thing, and, and let's let's get a response from Daniel because it was his question. Um, if it's not too much to process, but uh, you know, like you said, now, like when it's going for profit. So, I mean. Not, I'm not saying there's not some bad church out there that's taking money and they're greedy and the, the you know they're they're doing bad things with money, which would be sinful. I'm not saying there's not churches out there like that, but at least you know, I would like to think the overwhelming majority of churches, you know, they take that tithe and they don't just keep it. Like you know, they they give like you know reports of where they spend the money and you know all all this other stuff. And uh, all the churches I've been to, um, that wasn't just in passing. Like they all have budgets, they all put out the money and they take that 10%. Yes. And it goes to, you know, pay the, pay the staff, pay the secretary, pay the bills, pay the, the, you know, property or, you know, pay normal stuff. But then they also will typically like tithe or give or stuff like that and support like, you know, orphanages in the Philippines, like my, my church now, um, you know, that they like support um, in large part a Philippines orphanage uh, group. So it's not like, um, you know, a lot of the churches, at least the ones I'm familiar with, uh, just take all the money, and they're like, "All right, we got ten percent from these suckers." <laughs> they'll they'll use it for legitimately good things, uh, like basics, uh, like food, water, clothing, shelter, schooling, education, um, either abroad and also like you know in the community. So like when there's a hurricane, like uh, you know they they used a ton of of funding um, for you know giving people like new clothes and stuff like that whenever you know they got it all destroyed by the hurricane. Uh, not this one, um, the one last year. And things like that. Anyway, so yeah, not saying there's not bad churches that do bad stuff, but I think the overwhelming majority, because they actually believe in the God they claim to believe in, are well-intentioned and do good things with that extra money. Uh, but Daniel, yeah, did that explain your question? Yeah, that's perfect. Um, and just one final question: How would you? What would you say to someone to? Um, like just to ensure that they weren't getting conned because I'm 
presumably there are some um, things that you should look out for. You know what I mean? Like, when do you know that that, that something's have fishies going on here? Yeah, where people might be be taken advantage of financially or whatever. <clears throat> well, if we're just sticking with like the tide and the typical ten percent that people will talk about in you know modern America times, um, for me. I mean, if there was something just unmistakable, like that was super shady, or I thought there was misappropriation of funds and stuff like that, I obviously, I mean, I wouldn't be going to that church. Um, I certainly wouldn't give to that church. Um, but I mean, it says probably not going to be that obvious. But if it was, and I, I had knowledge of this, or there was like, you know, credible evidence that something bad was happening, I would get out of that church and I would not not give to the church. Um, but since I do this not for any other reason than you know my spirituality between me and God. Um, I don't like in practicality, if they were doing bad stuff with it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go there. But in theory, if they were saying they're doing good stuff and I have no reason to doubt them and I believe they're doing good stuff, but really they're using it for terrible stuff. And they're like, I don't know, funding Planned Parenthood or using it to enrich themselves or using it to buy stuff. That's, you know, just, just ridiculous. And they're not feeding the poor and, you know, doing what they say they're doing. Um, that that's not my, you know, that's, that's out of my purview. I've done my due diligence to the best of my ability. I'm giving this and they're being good stewards of it, just like I'm trying to be. So if they are using it for, for greedy, terrible, bad things, that's not my problem. My, my interest in this is between my relationship with me and God, uh, just like their interest in this, it's between them and God. So that's what I would say. But then it, it, to your larger con point, like, you know, sow this seed to like, you know, 80 year old grandma uh, watching televangelism in the middle of the night, like, so this or like the plethora of Facebook, nonsense I, I saw and shared and we all joked about it uh nonsense about like this this prophet oku chambuambo whatever guy is he's like just got pictures of like you know he's like posing next to rolls royces and bentley's and has pictures of like money he's like you know give this seed like god's gonna bless you right now like you know here's my cash app donate this and god's gonna send a, a wave of blessing your way you're gonna be rich to make like, bro no one give to that guy just no, no one. Uh, Daniel, got a response? yeah, that's, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Uh, Lord Helix, back to you. Uh, yeah, what were you? What was your thing? I was specifically talking. I was going to ask you, Steph, and Chris oh, the fate about, of the innocent. What? Yeah. What? What is? Who exactly are the innocents? And then on top of that, what is the fate of the innocents, according to the Bible? Are By innocent, are we talking about, like, babies or just, like, innocent people, like, Innoc who, like who we would... In, in, who, who would be defined as the innocent, according to biblical standard? That includes uh, babies and younger. Are they included within the, in, within the moniker of the innocents? And what is, and also people, who uh, who of the people that are alive would be considered the innocent? And what is the fate according to biblical standard? Steph, Chris, you guys want to take that? Um, okay. I've been chatting a lot. So a quick Google search of the phrase Bible fate of the innocent brings up only one thing, and it's from Ligonier about some pretty profoundly Calvinist stuff. So I guess... Other places where the idea of innocence appears in the Bible is that 
so we have something in Deuteronomy. Cursed is anyone who takes a bribe to shed innocent blood. Um, so I guess the idea, uh, it sounds like you're appealing to a phrase, the fate of the innocent. Is this like a doctrine that you're already familiar with? Because it's new to me. So from what I have heard, and I wanted to make sure it was logically consistent, is that peoples that have not had the revelatory message of God given to them, as well as, oh. uh, as, well as unborn children are considered the innocent and they are judged by different standards. Okay. I see what you're saying. Okay. So, so I tend to subscribe to CS Lewis's idea on this, which is going to make Chris foam at the mouth. Right. Uh, so that's my warning to you. So yeah, <laughs> what CS Lewis wrote about this that I really liked is the idea that there is no one necessarily who is innocent, right? So the law is written on our hearts. We are born with an understanding that there is a creator. Um, the idea of something bigger than us transcends cultures and languages and generations and nations. It's very universal to humankind. So the idea there is that if God has given us an awareness of him, um, what we need is an understanding that a bridge must be a gap must be bridged between us and God in order for us to obtain salvation. If there is a, like, I think that Lewis even gives the, um, example of like a remote Amazon tribe, like in the fifties, that was the thing going on. Right. So uh, a remote tribe that he said he had seen creation stories and a story of a God coming down and being sacrificed. There, there was this variation. And so in his mind, God had revealed himself to those people and they achieved salvation correctly through the gospel. Uh, but it was not revealed by some Spanish crusader. It was revealed by God himself. So, okay, but what if, so is, yeah, I yeah. like how you said people are born. What about the unborn? Okay. So in my theology, this is also going to make Chris foam at the mouth. Since there is no concept of election or predetermination in my belief system, then anyone who is not of this age of choosing, you know, an age of responsibility for understanding and intentionally committing sin, uh, which happens at some point in childhood, um, then no, I, I would, you know, the idea there is that they're innocent, they go to heaven, this isn't, they're born with um, original sin, but are not Correct. convicted because they like the command is repent and believe does a six-year-old repent and believe or does like my my uh, youngest brother is 17 and has very low functioning nonverbal autism um he's 17 and he knows when he does things that are naughty um but is he is he like able to follow that command fully repent and believe no i would i would put him in the box of innocence so yeah my belief system is that those people are not judged as though they could have repented and believed consciously what do you have to say about that, Chris or Nate? Is Chris speaking? Three, I don't know. I'm two, I mean, we just don't know what happens to to uh, babies that don't understand. Oh, yes. Maybe that's the right answer. Know. I'd agree with that. Yeah. Well, that's short and sweet. Yeah. And I mean, I think ultimately what we do know, though, as you know, you've kind of heard the short and long of it, but really what we do know if you're someone who, you know, is a believer and claims to know this God and, you know, you, you see his attributes and all the scripture that, you know, he's the one who is like, he's the only one who is like, you know, ultimately qualified to be the, the judge of everything. 
So with God and his attributes, one thing, even though ultimately we don't know, because, you know, there, I mean, there's biblical evidence, like maybe all babies go to heaven and stuff like that. But ultimately, we can't say we, we know definitively for every single baby. But what we can say we know is the one being most qualified in existence to determine the fate is this God. And no, uh, no, I, I think I, that's yeah, that's not my that, that's I'm trying to extrapolate because there's a verse that I read that basically that you can infer that an unborn child goes to heaven to be with God. Second uh, Samuel twelve twenty three. Yeah. And where basically they're saying, well, this child died before birth and I'm going to go and be with him when I die, be with it when I die. But from that, you can infer that the child is in heaven. So I would ask, I would, I'm just trying to argue, are all unborn children judged by different standards? And are they basically saved a spot in heaven? That's that's what I'm trying to yeah. figure out. And, and that's what we don't know because that's uh, you know like that is, like David was very sure he was going to see his son, and I, I believe he was right. So, but can we say that since David was sure he was going to see his son in heaven, does that one because that's like the only scripture about about that? There may be like slightly one other one. So I mean the Bible's pretty vague. So just because David is sure he's going to see his son. Does that mean we can extrapolate that for every single unborn baby ever? And that, I mean, that's exactly what we would be doing. We would be building like a doctrine or belief based on very, very loosely on one guy who was sure that he was going to see his son. Um, and so, I mean, we just don't know. Uh, but I mean, you know, if, if there wasn't, so, okay, either, you know, all babies go to heaven because, you know, reasons, or I think if any baby didn't find itself in heaven and found itself you know, in eternal punishment, that would be because God knows the end state of that baby. So when we get emotional and look at like an unborn baby, we're like, oh, how could anyone send him to hell? Well, I believe that if there ever was a way that a baby did find itself in hell, um, as unpleasant as that may sound, it's because God's not judging a cute little innocent baby. God is judging the end state of that baby. So we may as well be talking about an 80-year-old man. Um, and yeah, that's so the their baby whole was life. damned from conception. Nate. If that if that's why it's because God is judging them based on their whole life, um, but again that that like has goes into your view of God. So would a God with all these attributes, like you know, loving, grace, mercy, all this stuff, be that kind of God? Uh, I mean, I don't believe so. I fall on the side that you know babies will go to to heaven uh, because of the attributes of God. I want to know if he's here. What Yeshua thinks of this? Well, hang on, Bob. What, I, I will hear what you have to say, but I think I think Ward was saying something, and then we'll go right to you, Bob, and give you a shot. Oh, all good. But, it's all good. I'm, I, I was I just wanted to get you guys' thoughts on it uh, because I have. I mean, if it's true, if we're going to take from this that all babies that are unborn go to heaven, there's some pretty uh, pretty strong opinions people have in today's world that would have to change. Uh, are you going to leap to, well, then why don't we just go ahead and abort babies because it guarantees them a ticket to heaven? Yeah, I was going to leap yeah. to that exactly. But right. Well, because so we, but, yeah, but, step in this conversation, but that's contrary to what God has given us in this world, right? So if we say that we, we believe, like I strongly believe that babies go to heaven, right? For reasons that we talked about. So it would be a wild leap to then say, well, so I should just kill my kids because my kids also have a directive from God for how to function and how to behave and to go out and preach the word and make more disciples. So if I decide that the only goal 
of this life is to get me and my kids' butts to heaven. I'm missing like 98% of the story. Do you see what I'm saying? So I'm it wouldn't even... make sense to make that leap. Well, Steph, I'm not, I'm not making the leap that we should go and commit an action. I'm, I'm making the leap that the action that is taken isn't pure evil because the outcome itself actually is a better good than having to live in a broken world. It is, Except this is all... It is well, still well, okay. purely... I'm just going to respond so, to that real quick. It is still purely uh, neglecting and pooping on God's will for human beings. Murdering each other because, oh, my brother's a Christian, uh, and so I'm going to kill him so he can go to heaven now, is in direct violation of literally everything else God tells us to do. So stepping from, you know, killing babies is, saying killing babies isn't evil because they go to heaven is a complete and utterly nonsense statement. Do you see that? Yeah, the means do not just... I'm not saying the action is not evil. I never said that. Well, I'm, I'm oh, that's what I thought you said that. word for word. No. Okay, well, hang on, hang on. Bob, I, I said we'd go right to Bob. I don't know why Steph don't want you to talk, Bob. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the means definitely don't justify the ends, regardless of that would also be committing sin. And also, this whole argument would be predicated on one verse in the Bible and the attributes of God. So we could be wrong. So I don't be like, oh, sure, let me start tithing to Planned Parenthood because, you know, all babies are going to heaven only to find out, oh, oops, I was incorrect. And that's not the case. That would be unimaginably evil actually evil uh but bob what do you want to say i was thinking that uh since, <laughs> yeah can you hear me no it don't hurt yes. uh what, what hurts <laughs> is that you traded me off for knucklehead son a while ago you said to be fair i don't think i've met him before so well that was a compliment well, I, to you bob we traded I, him for you yeah, well, I, I wanted to kind of deal with him because I heard him dealing with Matt Slick the other day, but that's neither here nor there either. But about these babies, until a baby breathes air, the baby hasn't had the breath of life. Oh, Bob. The, no, now you know that the baby has not breathed, so the child, I didn't say his heart didn't beat. Mama's you know, there to take care of the baby. But Steph, do you think we're uh, the offspring of God? Yeah, uh, I, wait, are we off. offspring uh, Wait, of God? yeah, like, do you think we are? Idea, like, you threw rocks at yeah. towers. That's cool. Um, oh, Chris, you got a hot mic. I'm going to eat you. Um, we're, we're God's creation. We're a reflection of God. Humans are called in the Bible sons of man, daughters of Eve, sons of Adam. Like there's all sorts of different names for humans. Do, but we're God's creation. Are we offspring in the same way that Christ is? No, Bob. Like, are, even are Christ we, is an offspring. Are we the offspring of God? No. no. Okay, I, my I, answer to you is no. Well, well, the Bible's Paul, answer, well, the Bible's answer is no because, you know, Paul, if you're about to talk about Paul, please be upon him says, you know, we're not the offspring of God. We have been given the right to be adopted into the family yeah. and become no. sons and daughters no, of God. No, that's so not what it says. That's not what it says. That is what it says. That's exactly we what it are, says. We are the offspring of God. No, uh, we have been given the right to be adopted as sons and daughters. No, right. you are the offspring of God because he Where is the father. Psalms 82 six. We are the offspring of God. We are just not spirit beings like angels, but yet we are the offspring of God. That's why God calls us his children. 
And that's Psalms why he cares for us. I ain't worried about Psalms 82 6. No, what I'm saying is, like, okay, just, you know, look, the absence of, I, I don't understand sometimes when you go to the clubhouse rooms where people just make statements. Can you direct people to where it says that, right? Like, instead of just saying, this is what I think, show me why you think of that and point to the verse so people can have an intelligent dialogue that would be really helpful at this point. it would be and what did paul say in Athens? i don't know pretend like well, I'm why don't you read it fool. i wouldn't know right like why don't you pull up this text it's not for me to prove your position you pull up the text and demonstrate to everybody who's listening your position right i shouldn't have to figure out your state of mind you present your state of mind and find the text i've already figured out your state of mind you, you trust me. We're not even in the same category. Okay. I just well, need you to pull, to pull up what's going on. We're not even. All right. Wait, all right hang on. Well, I, I gave you, I gave you a shot, Bob. No, hang on. I just want to read. I just want to read Ephesians one and five and six and Romans real fast. He predestined us for adoption, uh, to sonship yep. through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will, to the praise of the glorious of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us and the one He loves. And then, real quick, Romans eight fifteen and seventeen. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship, and by which we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies that we are the Spirit, uh, that with our spirit, uh, we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. So, I mean, there are some scriptural references for what uh, we were saying, Bob. So, Unfree, do you want to finish real fast? Where Bob is getting this thought, though. So Acts 17, which is, I think, what Unpreached was just about to go to, um, or maybe not, maybe, I don't know, I think that's where Bob was going to. Uh, Paul, or what, what's happening in Acts, Paul and Silas, Paul in Athens. Um, so Paul is saying, and he made one man from every nation of mankind, this is 1726, every nation of mankind to live in all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us for, and then we have a break and he's quoting something. It says, quote, in him, we live and move and have our being as even some of your own poets have said, quote, for we indeed are his offspring. Then, and so then Paul says, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think about, think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of, uh, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. So in the, it, it quotes two parts where Paul is quoting, like it, it's, a, there's the citation for two parts where Paul is quoting the Greek poets as describing offspring. So one is from Epimenides of Crete, uh, who referred to us as God's offspring. And the other is Eratus's poem, Phinomena. Phinomena? So Paul is quoting to the Greeks, the Greeks' own poetry. This isn't, a, this isn't even a callback to the Old Testament. So I would take that into consideration. I'm not sure that I would then build an entire doc, doctrine off of Paul saying, for we indeed are his offspring, if he's quoting a familiar Greek poet. Does that make sense? Wow. That was like a Chris-level knowledge bomb. That was awesome, Steph. You are welcome. <laughs> uh, Yeshua, you, uh, Steph wanted to hear what you had to say about the, what was it? Was it the infant baby thing that you wanted Yeshua to weigh in on, Steph? 
Oh yeah, well, the, uh, Helix was addressing a couple of us, but uh, Yeshua actually is also very knowledgeable. I'm actually honored to have Yeshua on the stage today. So I didn't know if you wanted to weigh in on that. I just wanted to give him some space to talk. I'm honored to be in your presence. Stop. You know what I'm so the feeling is mutual. Oh, thank you. That's really cool. Yeah, so glad to have you here today. <laughs> Good morning to everyone. Um, yeah, so there's a passage that I that I will go to whenever there's uh, difficult questions like this, and I don't have all the knowledge. It's in uh, Genesis 18, uh, 25, uh, around the time period when Sodom and Gomorrah was about to be destroyed, and and uh, Abraham was having a dialogue with Yahweh, and he said, he said, uh, surely, let me actually get to, let me get to one. I actually like the phrase, far be it for, far be it for from you to do such a thing to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike, far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly. And that's where I rest. Um, when it gets difficult and I do not know uh, the best answer to give, like something that is beyond my uh, understanding and comprehension, as you guys had mentioned today, um, this is where I rest. Will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? That's it. Well, awesome. Thank you for that. The right answer. Uh, Kendra, what's up? Did you have anything on your mind? Um, I just had a quick question when they were talking about offspring in First John. Um, sometimes how we define things can kind of skew or change the meaning. And I believe it's First John 3 and 2 where it talks about um, now are we the sons? If someone could expound a bit more on that as it relates to the question that was posed um, earlier about being the offspring of that. I will read First John 3, 1 through 3. Um, See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world doesn't, uh, does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appear, uh, yeah, appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. I got something to say about the David and the baby. Uh, did you want whenever step to David? Did you want to weigh in, or were you just reading that? Oh, I just or had, did it you up. had a thought. I happen to have it up, so I was reading <laughs> it uh, because I was seeking other verses where we're called God's children. So I think calling children. Okay, so my thought on this, Kendra, is that I'm going to align with Nate much more in the idea of adoption um, because we're God's creation, but in no way do we deserve to be called God's children. However, I think everyone would agree to that sentiment, uh, but we're given the gift of adoption right we're given this like path into the fold and so in first john at least in the esv translation it uses the word children not offspring offspring seems like a very physical like that word is visceral and physical to me like it actually has come forth from something um but being called children for me in this verse in first john i would align much more with nate on the adoption principle than the actual like begetting offspring principle does that make sense
Uh, uh, so the long story short, I'm comfortable with children of God. I'm not comfortable with offspring of God. I don't know why that's my stance. And I believe Paul agrees with you. Uh, well, is, is LJ on the phone? It shows her on the phone. But yes. My phone's out. Um, next guy. Me, me, me. Oh, okay. Say something about dead babies. Uh, what's up, Felix? <laughs> and then we're going to go to the anti-whatever. No, I, it wasn't about dead babies, but, you know, uh, the part where David says about, you know, the child that was going to die, you know, he knew he was going to die. Yeah. And, you know, how I used to, I used to see, I used to see it as, that means David is going to be in heaven with his son. But I don't think that's what David meant when he said, you know, I will, I will, he will not come to me, but I will go to him. And I'm paraphrasing. I think he's referring to like Sheol, like he's like he's going to be buried just like that child is going to be buried. Like that child will never come back to him in a physical sense, just like he'll be dead and he'll never come back physically. I think that's what he was referring to. Well, I couldn't get there because, she, I mean, Sheol's a grave. Like if he talks about how he's going to see him again, but like that, that seems like there's going to be conscious activity going on. If they're both in Sheol, they're they're both in the grave. But no one's seeing anyone or doing anything. They're they're all dead. But <clears throat> uh oh, you're chopping up pretty bad, Felix. Uh, can you hear me? We heard that. Can you hear me? But this is yes. This okay, is where so we say we hear you, and then we don't hear you. Darn it! Try one more time. One more time. So my 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 question my question is: Can you hear me? Can you hear me? <laughs> yes. Okay, the question is, does David say in the text that he is going to see his child, or does it say that he will... I don't recall. Can someone read it? Right, I don't think... I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't have it to pull up, but I don't think that's what he says. That's why I don't think that he means that he's... He knows he's going to see it, but he knows he's going to go to the grave just like that child did. Well, someone could bring it up real fast, or I can in a minute. Does Steph all of a sudden not have her Bible pulled up? Okay, fine. I'll go in a minute. Yeah, so right, let's, let's go ahead. Peter, what was the verse? The one, I, I don't know the verse. It's the one in Second Samuel. It's where David talks about how he'll, I think, see his kid again, but apparently that's wrong. Let's just read what it actually says. So Second Samuel 12, and I'm reading in the ESV, and this says it's in 1223. So let's go down. Oh, Solomon's birth. Okay. Oh, David's child dies. Okay. Um, let me see if I can make this a little easier. The print, I'm struggling because the print is so small. Okay. But now that he's dead. Lord, <laughs> Go ahead. I'm starting at uh, 15. Nathan went to his house and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not nor did he eat food with them. Well, that's very sad. On the seventh day, the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, The child is dead? He may do himself some harm. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. 20. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and when he asked, they set food before him, and he ate. 
Then his servants said to him, what is this thing you've done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that my child may live. But now he's dead. So why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. That's my point right there. Felix has a point. Yeah. So uh, for many years, I used to believe that that meant that the baby went to heaven and David was aware that he would be in heaven. But there's nothing in there to indicate that that was the understanding. So I just think he's talking about. I mean, I, I think that's I think that's fair. I think I still hold the traditional, you know, he thinks he's going to see, you know, his kid in heaven again. Um, but but I mean, that right there is at least enough to hedge and say, see, this is why it's perfectly reasonable that Christians would not support abortion, uh, because even though we think and we hope and we really believe that all babies go to heaven, um, if it's something like this that we're basing that entire belief on is this verse of David, it's like, well, right there, you've just given pause. I, I mean, you know, I still hold to it, um, but we could be wrong. The Bible doesn't say a lot about that. It says, you know, God is fair and just, and he's going to judge. He's like the qualified judge. So whatever the outcome is, God's the best one to do that. But we don't automatically know based on that one verse. Um, you know, we could be wrong. So I think it's a fair point. But uh, anti-Kytheria? So, so, uh, hey. so in other words, I was right 35 minutes ago when I said we just. Well, to be fair, you and me and Steph all said that. And probably know, everyone else who didn't say, say that would agree. <laughs> Well, you can. Well, okay. Anyways, what's up, Anti? Oh, I, I was just um, that Yeshua guy left, and I just was curious about his interpretation of Genesis eighteen twenty five. Um, I don't know if he talked about why he why he picked that verse, or what what you all thought it meant, because from what yeah, he said, it, it sounded sounded God different. Is just. That was it, it sounded like he made the argument that God is just. So hmm. therefore, it, whether and whatever judgment God does is a just judgment. I mean, that's not at all how I read 1825, right? Because God's coming in and saying he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham questions him, right? He's, you know, he intercedes on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah and he says, you know, far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous and the wicked. Right? So he's questioning God. And then it goes on where he has uh, Abraham negotiates with God. And he's like, God says, fine, if I find 50 righteous people in Sodom, I'll spare the whole place. And Abraham and he continue negotiating God down from 50 to 45, 40, 30, 20, and finally 10. And each time God agrees that he'll not destroy the city if a smaller number of righteous people is found within it. Well, is it so? Um, what does yeah, I wish that... you, I wish you was, I, I wish he was here to, to speak for himself. But I'd say, well, if you look at the end story, could this just be God knows what's going to happen? So he's like, you know, you shouldn't, you totally shouldn't destroy the city because, you know, kill the, kill the wicked, wicked and the righteous together. And then, like you say, he negotiates down. But what's the end result? Like, no one is found. Like, the number he wants is never met. So. God, knowing this, I mean, even though it seems like a dialogue and a negotiation taking place, like it's not like he's like, oh, I found ten righteous pe people. See, uh, I'm so I'm so much better than you, God, because you know if it wasn't for me, 
you would have killed these righteous people. But that's not how the story ends. Like the story goes, there are not righteous people, you know, except the ones that get out of the city. Um, so the story was always going to happen the same way. So Abraham says, far be it from you that you should destroy the righteous and the wicked. Well, there were yeah. no righteous. So the story ends the way it always would have anyway. But how does that, I guess, to Nate's point, how's that different than what Yeshua said? So the, the, the wider argument he's making is that God is just in yeah. the judgment. The other question that I'm hearing behind it is, is more of a theological uh, tennis match between Ar Arminius and Calvinists, right? Like, is this something mm -hmm. that God changed his mind on, or did he already know that he was going to, this conversation, mm -hmm. and then he was going to do that? So I Yeah, I mean, was it like a, just a performative act that God was going through? Yeah, like so, so it's part of the story. to negotiate, but he's, you know, just like, why didn't he just tell Abraham, look, there's no righteous people in here. That's why I'm doing it. Where because this is, know, Abraham this is part believes of this. that there are righteous people and he doesn't want God to be doing something that isn't just or whatever, even though God is doing something just in the end. Well, I mean, it's kind of like the same thing we're having now, right? Like how. You know, someone was like, well, you know, if all babies go to heaven and if there's innocent babies, maybe you should just let them be killed because, you know, they'll go to heaven anyway. So, I mean, kind mm -hmm. of like a, a parallel for what we're talking now, like that that's the same thing playing out. Like Abraham's like, well, God, you know, what if there's righteous? What if this? What if this? So, I mean, the, the takeaway I get is God knows stuff and we don't. So it's kind of like a, a throwback to Job, too, how like wouldn't the story have been so much easier which i believe the story is here for our benefit so we can learn lessons but clearly we mm -hmm. are still not learning them which is why question god so like in like you know why this why the problem of evil why didn't god do this why didn't god do that it's like the story is going to turn out exactly the way and even though we think oh well there's righteous people why kill them with the wicked or oh why didn't you do it this way god this would have been so much better well the end result is no it wouldn't and god knows stuff and we don't <laughs> that's i mean that's the takeaway i get and we see mm -hmm. it in here and we see it in job and we see it in reality every day um but yeah, i, I no, mean if it, i can make uh, go ahead. i was just going to say what what it caused me to think about when he brought up that Bible verse was um, Isaiah 45, seven, right? Where it says, I form the light and create darkness or you know, evil calamity, disaster, right? Depending on the translation, I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord do all these things. And it's just emphasizing his sovereignty over everything, good and bad. Yeah. It emphasizes his sovereignty. And then, I mean, I, mean, mm -hmm. I guess for his, for his qualifications, like for the justice and rightness of God, um, I chat GPT this. I don't even know what I'm looking up. Um, but I'm going to read these in real time. Like I, I've done this before. You know, I, it looks familiar. Sure. But I mean, as far as far as outright claims on the Bible, right? So if someone wants to dispute it and say it's it's all lies or it's inaccurate or it's corrupted, fine. But as far as the words on text, let's see. Psalms 89:14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. So if righteousness and justice are his foundation, um. Then if people want to make a case that, you know, he creates calamity and good and evil and light and dark, uh, they would have a hard, hard time. That, that would be a like Chris said earlier to son that would contradict their understanding of of those verses, because then you have to that would contradict these verses. So that understanding would be wrong because you have to, like, interpret it, like interpret those verses to get God to a place where he's mean and evil, because these verses that counter it are just matter of fact, like no interpretation, no interpretation required. So Psalms, uh, let's see. Hang on. Um, doo -doo 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 -doo. Well, I mean, you don't want to succumb to like 
intertextuality, right? You want to be doing well, yeah, like, thesis on the particular passages. Well, yeah, but I mean, you know, so exegete, um, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but like, there's something that's just like matter of fact, it's like, the Lord is just and upright in all his ways. Like, how do you exegete that? Okay, my exegesis is, well, the Lord is upright, <laughs> or the Lord is just and mm -hmm. upright in all his ways. Like, there's only so so many places you can go with the, the things that talk about how right and just and the true, like, rightful judge um, and all of his rays are just. So there's so many scriptures that say things like that that don't really leave a whole lot of stuff to be exegeted. It's just like, well, the Lord is just. He's he's right. He is the true judge. He is, you know, how far can I go with that? Versus, well, well he creates calamity and brings about dark and light. It's like there's a little more a little more places to go with that versus is God is right. I form the light and create the darkness. That seems pretty clear. I well, yeah, is light and dark and synonymous? Disaster. Well, right there. Is light and dark synonymous with good and evil? I mean, there's room to exegete in that. And it's like, well, no, it's literally light and dark. Or let's look at the context. Like, what, right well, or he, wrong, there he, are a lot more, there's a lot more room to wiggle and navigate through that than there is with well, God is right. I mean, you could take it as two separate. You could take it hyper literally and say, I form light, create darkness, right? Okay, fine. But then he says, I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. Well, yeah, but then look at Psalms. Like, is it bad that he creates disaster? Like, for example, like, look at Psalms and, and like, well, how many places? And, apparently like, not, well, right? Well, well, of course not. And I think you or someone else, else that tries to make right. a case that God is evil, they would also say, like, if I he haven't creates, made that uh, case. No, just if you did. The, the, I'm trying to get to a point. That just forget all that. The point I'm trying to get to is, is God somehow bad or unjust or bad at his job? If he creates, brings about calamity or disaster, because look at all the other Bible verses that talk about, you know, if these bad people like, you know, make war and the people Israel and all this other stuff, like he will put snares in their in front of their ways. He will make them trip up like he'll bring disaster upon them. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, so he's not like just bringing disaster and perfectly good people. It's like these are evil people who have death and murder, um, well, you know, at the ready. And he's yeah. bringing disaster and calamity on them. So there's a perfectly valid time where everyone would be like, oh, yeah, bring disaster and calamity upon those people. Yeah, yeah we but, don't want them. But even evil. if he brought calamity and disaster on perfectly righteous people, you could say, well, he's got a reason for doing that, right? It's it's not a pro-toto evil, right? It's well, you know, you could evil say that, that in, but... in service of some greater divine plan. Well, yeah, you could say that, but then ask for evidence and it's pretty scarce. Like you don't see a whole lot of good righteous people having having all this disaster and calamity brought on them like you know we're told what? on one hand it rains on the just and unjust alike but it doesn't say god's doing that it just says hey that's what happens that could be a product god of this fallen is world saying that he and, does all those things right i was about to say but then you have job okay wait hang on uh given the verse where it's talking about specifically uh god brings what bad stuff on isaiah 45 and I, i'm not saying it doesn't exist i'm just okay 45 7 but yeah, I mean, to the first answer, what you said, like, no matter what, God is the just right judge, and no one is more qualified. So yeah, if he does that, then there's a reason. It's like, you know, in John, John 9, when Jesus, the disciples say, you know, why was this man born blind? Who sinned, him or his parents? And he's like, neither. It's so God can be glorified. So then we say God, God, you know, just didn't prevent this guy from being uh, born blind in something other than God did it. Or did God actively make this guy blind from birth so he can be glorified? There's also room to navigate through either one of those. Okay, Isaiah. And I'm going to have to run if any of you guys want to keep going otherwise. 
what was the specific verse, Isaiah 45, what? Seven. Well, yeah, I, I mean, how does it, how, I form the light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Nowhere in there is it talking about I, the Lord, bring calamity and all this stuff on good, righteous people. Like that, that's just not, not existent. It just says, I make these things. Well, I think if you read uh, do the these things. broader context of Isaiah, it's talking about Cyrus taking over, um, conquering the Israelites. Oh, well, if you read the broader context of the Bible, and I'm not saying you're wrong. I mean, I just don't have the whole, you know, time to read the whole chapter right now. I'm not saying you're wrong, but I would say if you read the broader context of the entire Bible, um, usually when God is bringing judgment on the Israelites, it is not because they're upright, just good people. It's because they've turned away through idolatry and worship and all this other sacrifice to evil deities, um, and they're being judged. So it's not like they're they're good, wonderful people, and God's unjustly punishing them. Like it's it's quite the contrary. Like how many how many prophecies and books of the Bible are dedicated oh. specifically but, so, to? Sorry, sorry, yeah, I, yeah. I misspoke. Um, I believe it was Cyrus's role in liberating them. Cyrus with the great was anointed as uh, the Messiah. As, as an anointed one, not the Messiah, as Christians understand it, but as a, yeah, yeah. a Messiah, right? Uh, yeah, so I mean, unless anyone else has something to weigh in, I'd say um, I would want evidence, uh, you know, from the scripture that says God specifically does bad stuff to people who are currently being wonderful, righteous, and good. Um, I mean, I mean, I think to to you know give someone um, some evidence, I would say the closest we can get is Job. But then that's not God doing it; that's just God saying Satan can do this, um, and that that's about as close as I can think. But yeah, I mean, I'm open. If someone can find something, let us yeah, I mean, you know, Cyrus... email me or something like that, and we'll talk about it. Okay. Well, well, yeah, I mean, I know you said Cyrus, but I mean, you know, if there's like specific uh, a cluster of verses you could point to, and I mean, I know I have to run. And, you know, you don't probably yeah, no. don't have time to I'm read a whole chapter and find the verses you're That's looking fine. for. But, yeah, I mean, if you can find something, I, I mean, so far we're focusing on Cyrus. So if we could find some clumps of scriptures oh, around I, I was Cyrus. I saying that it was Cyrus in relation. Uh, it was his decree that allowed the Jewish exiles in Babylon to return to their homeland and rebuild the Jewish temple. Right. So, but, so it began the restoration for the Jews. Right. And this was they were saying, well, why did why, why Cyrus? Right. He's like this evil guy. And it was God saying, look, I do all these things. I raise up kings and I create light and I, I bring them down and I create darkness and clamp like it's all I'm sovereign over everything. So why why care if it's Cyrus or whoever? Well, yeah, but again, like, I mean, if that's where you're going, that's almost the like inverted point of what I thought you were trying to make, which is I mean, it, it would be better for what I'm saying, except it's not really related. Like, at the end of the day, if you say, like, God does every, all, all these things, like, and you say everything ever, ever, every molecule, I, mm -hmm. I believe he's ultimately in control of that. But right. I believe, you know, there are plenty of things that God doesn't specifically, like, I don't know, the hurricane. I believe he's ultimately sovereign and in control of that hurricane. Right. But I don't believe he's like, boom, hurricane. And he's like spinning it around, like shooting at places. I think, you know, this fallen world plays a part. And, you know, God ultimately is sovereign over it. 
but he's not commanding where it's going necessarily, like environmental factors, this fallen world. And the Bible even says, you know, whenever we're tempted, don't say God did it. Like, you know, we're drawn away by our own sinful desires. So that would be evidence against God specifically controlling every single thing, even though he is ultimately in control, that leaves room that he is not controlling our temptations because it says God doesn't do that. It's our own selfish, sinful desires that control our temptations. So I, I just think there's... I mean, we can. Evi- that, that's yeah. a different issue, but well, mean, it goes we, back to God we can get into things. that. Well, I mean, you would have to say like God didn't understand the initial conditions that He was setting up and how they would unfold over time and resulting in a hurricane, right? Like He did allow it; He knew it was going to happen. Well, yeah, but I mean, knowing it's going to happen, and versus you know, I also know the world is going to be fallen. I know Adam and Eve are going to sin. I know you know Satan's going to be the great tempter. You know, Hasatan is going to you know, evil's going to do what evil does. So, I mean, when he knows create the parameters but, I mean, just... for the game. Then you already have uh, certain restrictions on players options. So no matter what they do, it's going to be within a framework anyway. And the outcome will always be the outcome you set up from the beginning. Yeah. So if we want to say God is ultimately every single thing traces back to God. So, I mean, yeah. we don't do that with anything else, but if we want to make a, an argument like, you know, if a drunk driver kills someone, you don't typically sue Chevy. You sue the drunk driver. So if something bad happens in this world, and for some reason in religion, instead of people wanting to blame Satan or blame evil people, we want to say, okay, well, we're going to skip the drunk driver and we're going to go straight to Chevy and blame Chevy. So, I mean, and I mean, that's fine. You can do that. Like, because, you know, God is ultimately the starter of everything in existence and the sustainer of every single thing, I believe. So if if you want to like, indirectly go back and be like, okay, we're going to skip a few levels and get all the way back to God. And you're responsible because you're ultimately in control. I mean, that's fine. I mean, I, I would, you know, blame the first cause, but I mean, if someone wants to do that, fine. But typically the person that would blame God also that would do that also doesn't typically believe in a God. So it's like the concept that they would be blaming. But anyways, I really do have to run. Yeah. Okay. Steph, I suppose you don't want to keep it going. Um, I can't. No, uh, no, I can't today. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See you guys. And we'll, we'll be right. back tomorrow. So jump back. All right. See you guys later.